Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, I did Christmas over over in Egypt, so I, I did a whole Christmas set, which was bizarre, seeing people in their bikinis and budgie smugglers <laughs> dancing to Christmas tunes. That's not Christmas. <laughs> not Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right by the pool. Yeah, that that was that was quite strange. Greetings! Welcome to another Guitar Smarts podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're privileged to have another guest with us to discuss all things guitar and music. Damien Lodrick has worked in music for his entire professional life and has been lucky enough to see the world whilst travelling as a working musician, culminating and continuing to flourish running his premier events band, the DLB. Our conversation was utterly fascinating. We can't wait to have him back on the podcast again. So please check him out online at thedamienlodrickband.co.uk. Damien is spelt D-A-M-I-A-I-N. Check him out on Facebook and Instagram as well. He's got pages there too, so please go and give him a like. I can say hello. Subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss all the other Guitar Smarts podcasts. Come and give us a like on our Facebook page too. That's facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts. And follow us on Instagram using the handle at guitar underscore smarts. That's enough waffle from me. Let's get to it. Hey Matt, how you doing? Hey Kieran, I'm good thanks mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. I'm very good, thank you. Sorry, the reason I'm laughing is because I was just being particularly crude before we started. So, uh, but that's all got to clean up now. Uh, no surprises the there. Yeah, well, no surprises there. <laughs> How's your week been, okay? Uh, it's been busy but good and I'm glad it's Friday as usual because it's Friday and also we're doing this podcast. So, hey, happy days. Love it. I mean, we release them on a Monday, don't we? But we keep saying it's Friday. Uh, most people might hear it on a Monday or whatever day they choose to download it. But for us, it's, true. it's, it's, it, it's part of our Friday, which is which is what I always really look forward to. And uh, today is, is uh, a great one for us because we've got a guest on the show. <laughs> so we have got uh, a very dear friend of mine uh, joining us today. So uh, Damien Lodrick is a very talented multi-instrumentalist, band leader and frontman, music teacher, studio engineer, live engineer and all-round international entertainer. 
Uh, currently based wow. in the south of the UK, he is uh, the founder of the Damien Lodrick Band uh, and a leading uh, uh, a leading professional band, really, which uh, has several different lineups and arrangements uh, that are able to r- provide live experiences for any occasion uh, across a range of different genres. So Damien and I have known each other for 25 years or more, probably. I'll have to, I'll have to ask him, how long have we actually known each other? And but we've played in a number of different bands over that time together. As I said, he's a dear friend of mine, but above all things, the reason we thought it would be good to have him on the show today is he's an incredible guitarist as well. Uh, so let's welcome uh, to the Guitar Smarts podcast to chat about what has been and will continue to be a life in music. Uh, Mr. Damien Lodrick, welcome to the show. Yeah, Damien. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, guys. I'm really, really pleased. So pleased oh, to the, be the here. Pleasure's ours. I'm I'm a big fan of the Guitar Smarts podcast. I'm not just saying that. And I've to- <laughs> I've told Kieran many times. I just love listening to the podcast every Monday. The first moment I get, I will uh, I'll turn it on, and uh, I was. Clean the car out I, i'll take it wherever and uh, it just makes me laugh and smile and yeah uh, just the one about um guitar what do you call it i think they're all about guitar <laughs> i think most, they are most all about guitar. talk about guitars <laughs> oh the, the setting setting up with the guitar oh yeah the, the eight things that that you need to do for setting up ah. the guitar i i really enjoyed that one but um, Kieran sets up my guitar, so I don't need to know any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I just get it. If I get a new guitar, I just pass it directly to him. And I've got a new guitar and I need to set it and I need it set you it have, up. So, you uh, have. Oh. You've, you've got a lovely uh, Ernie Ball-esque Lukather uh, type guitar, uh, <sighs> which... I am. I'm really looking forward to to getting my my hands on. Where, how long have you had it now? A couple of weeks. Yeah, two or three weeks. Yeah, just needs a few bits and pieces doing on it, uh, which o- only you can do. I I've had a go. Yeah. <laughs> I probably made it ten times worse. And I thought I can do these things. I've got some tools. Uh, I bought that little bag of tool things, which are really really cool. But anyway, just you've got to, to get it into Kieran's hands because he's the guitar Gandalf. Guitar Gandalf. Oh, well, that's, that's, yeah. That's and do you know what? Actually, Damien, it's a really good point. Doing those podcasts, that is it's transformative for me because in 25 years of being a guitarist, I've never invested any real time or effort into the knowledge and the skills to try and set anything up. So after that podcast, I went away and, and spent some time in my strat and, um, yeah, I feel like I've got a new guitar now. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I can tinker away a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> there's only, there's only certain things that I really won't do. And Kieran has the mastery and expertise in his fingers. Oh, that's, that's very kind. Exactly. But I, I mean, look, I think, I think it's a difficult one when you've just bought a, a uh, which was in this case, right? It's a secondhand guitar, but by all accounts, it looks, it looks in really good condition. But I think the, 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 the eight steps uh, podcast that we did was probably, I think, best designed for people that have had a guitar set up. Uh, either from the shop or they've had it set up by a tech. And it's more about what you can do to routinely just just do a few little adjustments here and there to keep it in good playing condition. Because there's nothing Absolutely. worse than, you know, it's got into a really nice, nice kind of setup state from, from a tech. And then over time, it can't, you kind of just fall out of love with it because you think this just doesn't play right anymore. So those, those little eight steps were, were kind of things to keep it in check and and um, you know, prevent it from having to go too f- frequently to the to the guitar tech. But um, I always like kind of seeing the guitars that you buy uh, secondhand, uh, Damo. And you've bought some great ones. Um, but they're, they're they're definitely little labors of love for me because I, I get, <laughs> like, all oh, right, 
okay, we could do this, we could do that. And, and you're brilliant because you just, your eyes rapidly glaze over when I start talking about too much jargon. And then the immortal words just come out, which is just, just do whatever you think you want to <laughs> yes. do to it. And I just go, great. <laughs> and I just have free reign on it. So um, yeah. But I, I think that's to... because you know how I play and you know what I want from my guitar. And I think that's really important. I think spending time, I remember you talking about spending time with the person that you're setting that guitar up for. And you don't really need to do that with me because you know the way I play and how I play and where I play and uh, and what I do to my guitars and it's not it's not something that every tech can either have the time to do or because you know they're they're doing probably a huge volume of them i try to keep the volumes that i do to a manageable pace because that's what i like to do with them i like to sit down and see how somebody plays Mm. um but uh yeah well I can't wait to get hold of that one, uh, and uh, and we can see how we can how we can make it part of your your toolkit. Uh, is it yes. one you intend to gig? Do you think is it is it going to yes, become one most of your definitely, main most yeah, definitely, so. yes, along with my uh, OLP, which they don't make anymore. Oh yeah, that was kind of like the did that become the Sterling Music Man kind of? That's exactly it. Is that it. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I so remember I've, seeing those. I've got an OLP Luke, which uh, Kieran ripped apart and put back together with new pickups in. Still for the life of me, I can't remember. He only told me like a week or so ago what, what you put in there. <laughs> but they're really good. Dave Gilmore, Seymour Duncans, I think. Oh, wow. And, a, and an Iron Gear. Yeah, well remembered. See, you do, you See, do I remember. do remember. Yes, yeah. I do remember. I do take in some <laughs> things, you say. And and then this new one, which is a Sterling Music Man LD wow. 100. So, uh, yes. I'm, I'm jealous because I'm, I'm like I'm still very deep in a Lucather Hall at the moment, which is yeah. I never thought I'd say that actually. But um, yeah, I, he's just an incredible musician, and oh and yeah, yeah I keep looking at guitar. I keep looking. I'm finding guitars attractive now that are like Music Man yeah. guitars or like the Lucather style style stuff yes. because just yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. That's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think his signature guitars um, have managed to strike that right balance of you know, being a real workhorse guitar with versatility and features and neck profiles and things that you would just recognise as being great workhorse guitar for a professional guitarist, but also being really quite sexy to look at and being quite desirable with some of the finishes. Sometimes I see some of these artist guitars or indeed kind of real kind of session player signature guitars and you go, okay, that's clearly a really functional instrument a tool of the trade that is going to get them you know through you know countless gigs and and studio sessions and give them all that versatility and you look at it and you go but it's but it's not all that that sexy to look at but the luke model guitars i think do both of those things yeah absolutely and they just fit in my hands nicely Mm. It's like mm. the guitar I've been waiting for. And it's funny you say that because that's one of the things I've realised watching Lucather is that I've never seen a guitarist look so kind of at one with his guitar. It's, it's almost like it's part of him. Absolutely. He never seems to look like he's struggling to play. And some guitarists really look like they're wringing the neck of their instrument and it's, you know, they might be playing it great, but they look like it's a struggle. With him, it always looks like it's it's half his effort to play yeah, no matter absolutely. what he's playing. He's obviously incredibly comfortable with that instrument. Testament to him and to Music Man for making such great guitars. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you've just tuned in, guys, welcome to the Steve Lukather guitar show. <laughs> uh, this is this is episode three in the series where each week we go deeper and deeper in love with Steve Lukather. And uh, today joining us on the show is the world's number one Steve Lukather fan, yeah, uh, Damien yeah. Lodrick. <laughs> so Damien, when do 
did you dedicate a life in music to becoming more like Steve Lukather? Is that 1990, <laughs> exactly, 1995. It's fair to say, he's a, he's a huge influence for you though, right? He's, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. I know exactly when it was. Apart from hearing Rosanna in Africa when I was a kid, it was on like Guitar Techniques or Guitarist magazine. There was, uh, I think it was Guitar Techniques. There was Dave's Gone Skiing from the Tambu oh, yeah. album. <laughs> that was the first time I heard this track. I was just blown away by absolutely everything on that track. Guitar playing was just amazing. The the time signature, that it was interesting, the drum sounds, the bass playing, the piano solo was just mind-blowing. Everything about this instrumental track just absolutely blew me away. And I wanted to find out more about this band called Toto that wasn't just Rosanna and Africa, which I really loved, but uh, I didn't know they produced stuff like that. That was just eye-opening. That's yeah. my favourite. That's my favourite Toto album, Tambu. Even just from a recording quality perspective, as an audio file, you put that on a decent hi-fi and <clears throat> it's, it's like a reference album for me. You can just set up a hi-fi to that album because every instrument is so beautifully produced on it Absolutely. that you go, okay, this is, this is a good piece of hi-fi if it's reproducing this album in the way that I want to hear it. Um, but so, so Steve Lukather in a, in a guitar techniques album, but was he your first kind of influence that made you want to, to think about devoting your life to music? How did, how did, how did that happen? I don't actually know that. I don't think I've ever asked you that is I've just always known you as a professional musician. When I was working in a guitar shop, I must've been what, 17, 18 at the time. And you were a regular customer and you knew the owner. So you'd come in and we'd, we'd hang out and we'd chat about guitars. We'd play guitar all day. And you were just at the time, you know, the, the professional musician that came in to stock up on stuff. And then you're off to a gig somewhere that day or, but I don't, I don't remember, you know, ever asking you how that became your life. I've always just known you as a professional musician. At what point did that, did that kind of click for you? And you were like, right, that's, that's, that's my life set now. That, that is what I'm going to do. What a question. Gosh, I think I've always known that I wanted to do music ever since I was in primary school. And uh, I started playing the piano first. So piano is my first instrument. And I didn't do very well. My my piano teacher, Mr. Stevens, I must have been only about seven or eight, said that I wouldn't amount to anything because I just I just wasn't interested in learning whatever it was in the music book. I, all I wanted to do was just explore and improvise and I mean, just make sounds. I was, you know, uh, and I've, I've got, I've got, I've got a, a an older cousin uh, who, who was a massive influence on me, and only later on found out was a massive Toto fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, his his influence and him seeing me seeing him play uh, Van Halen jump on the piano on my piano at home at the time was just I want to do that. I want to play that kind of piano. I didn't want to play classical piano. Those were my first influences. So I was even being influenced by Toto, but I didn't realise it at that early age. So I, um, I, I can't go through everything. It will take take forever. <laughs> It really will. But all, re- all roads definitely lead back to Toto in some way. Form Basically, or <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
So that's a t-shirt um, waiting to be printed, isn't it? All roads lead to Todd. So I mean, I, I got into got into. Um, I was in a couple of bands at school playing keys. I was actually playing keys bass on on the synthesizer. We had a we had a school synthesizer. There was we had uh, one of my friends who who I uh, who one of my school friends who played piano, but he played it like a guitar. So he played uh, lots of chords and sung, and I played the bass line on the synth and any synth parts that I needed to do on on the with my right hand. Uh, and we had a drummer, and that was sort of the beginning of me just getting the bug. We would practice every Friday after school, and I, I just wanted to play music. That was all I wanted to do. Uh, and th- then that turned into a slightly bigger one where I actually learnt. This was the point when my friend said to me, "Right, you're going to be the bass player." in the band the actually bass player and I said okay there's I just don't know how to play the bass so he said here's here's my bass guitar not go away and learn to play it because he wouldn't let me borrow it but I had to (laughs) I had to just learn to play it at rehearsals Uh, once a week or twice a week, whenever we got together, obviously starting playing blues just with the A, D and E strings, because that's all I knew. <laughs> so I actually learned to play bass first and I really got into my bass playing before playing guitar, which came a couple of years later on. So um, I just taught myself to play the guitar at that point with a tape player. And I remember Matt talking about this on, you were talking about, or Kieran was about, you know, the back The then. pause button and the rewinding and the yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have a CD player. I only had tapes. I I just remember learning um, Sting's version of Little Wing. The guitar solo ah, in that yeah. was, it was is just wonderful. So that was one of the first things I learned. I couldn't really play many chords. I just wanted to play <laughs> solos. Yeah, that was all I wanted to do. <laughs> the cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, I forgot what you asked me. Well, that is what I asked you. It's like, well, yeah. uh, how, how did you... So th- that's kind of where I want to go with this, right? Because I think actually when I first met you, you were uh, you were in an, in a, an originals band. Uh, yeah, and you were And you were on bass. And it was a really great originals band, I must say I still have some of the uh the CD that uh you gave me of the band and the songs were just just incredible the, the female vocalist just had one of those voices that to, to this day is one of the the, the one of the nicest voices I've, I've, I've heard in a long time so sorry to interrupt this super interesting conversation however if you've made it this far you should probably subscribe to the guitar smarts podcast you can do that in your favorite podcast app go and do that now and then come back to the show let's get back to it and so you were on bass there and then uh we started kind of playing guitar together uh a few years after that and i remember you, you know you always were saying well I'm, I'm just i'm still progressing with my guitar i'm still kind of learning guitar you know fast forward now you know decades on you're this monstrous guitar player but i remember you kind of making that transition and then really getting into your into your guitar playing yeah i think, I think you know queen and, and gilmore were some of the, the kind so of yeah i mean on you right yeah absolutely uh, Dave Gilmore was was my first real 
guitar hero and I just wanted to play like Dave Gilmore really I wanted to play you know I learned to play Shine On You Crazy Diamond note for note and uh, Comfortably Numb and those epic Pink Floyd numbers and and I was just obsessed with Pink Floyd and I named my first guitar Gilly I haven't named any of my <laughs> other guitars since so yeah my my very first guitar that my dad bought me um, which is a Marlin I don't know if you remember Marlins yes yeah I do remember Marlins yeah. Marlin Sidewinder, it was that had active <laughs> circuitry in it and everything. It was, it was. It, it sounds like a serious guitar. It was great. It was absolutely great. And I can't remember what, um, but it, that wasn't such a great thing. The amp that I, I it, it wasn't producing the sounds. I needed obviously a valve amp or a, uh, a setup like Dave Gilmore to sound like Dave Gilmore. I couldn't quite emulate it, and I wasn't really into that. I was just wanting to make the sounds. I was learning the craft of being a guitarist. Um, I wasn't so much into the gear. I didn't have any money, so I, I uh, wasn't really into the gear at all. I just knew that I had I had a guitar, and, and I just wanted to learn to play like Dave Gilmore. So uh, yeah, uh, and I wasn't getting to play out like Dave Gilmore, and I I never have actually. I've never got to play any Pink Floyd live. <laughs> I'd love to, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in any bands, nobody's ever done it. I've been in, I, I was. I wrote a list, all the bands that I've been in. I've, I don't know whether you know, I was in a punk band. I didn't know that. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Actual Sex Pistols and Ramones stuff. Or... It was all originals and they were going for a record deal and I lasted one gig <laughs> and, then I, and then I quit. I, I just realised I wasn't really into my punk music at all. It didn't do anything for me. And I was playing keys in a punk band which just felt really wrong. I couldn't, you know, you can't rock out so much on keys unless you've got a big uh, Hammond B3 (laughs) that you can push around. Like and then set fire to at the end of every game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a really nice uh, uh, Roland keyboard that I wasn't going to break for every gig. And then, then I got into um, a covers band, functions bands, and then I just wrote a list. So there, there was function bands. I got into soul bands playing bass and keys keys first then bass then i joined that originals band while still doing the soul band uh and we we were doing quite well when i say we it was this one woman it was her brainchild and i was playing bass and i i was really into my bass at this point i was playing six string bass and i had a whole rack of amp stuff that i, I would take along with my <laughs> my my four by ten i remember the manager not really liking the fact that i was i was too session this is my fingers up in the air to session player sounding like <laughs> rather than playing with a pick on, on a on a precision or a more raspy i think he was wanting me to sound more raspy uh and not so clean and then dun 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 vegas happened i remember vegas yes because <laughs> kieran was involved with vegas which was another big sort of eight ten piece yeah. uh function band and that was shortly before kieran and i branched off and did our which was uh, the professionals which was two guitars vocal two vocals the biggest biggest PA on the planet and uh, it was the doing, biggest guitar show on the planet wasn't it it, it was, was like, yeah we would take I found some pictures the other day and I was still playing my uh, my original Marlin at that point as well which I can't believe I've played that guitar because it's actually awful guitar to play <laughs> it probably needs a thing I've just never really done anything about it so um, yeah I mean there were countless bands countless bands ended up playing for another 
three different soul bands on bass and on keys. Um, and it wasn't until I got to um, another, there was a, a covers band called The Platonics that I started oh, yeah. really getting into um, guitar. Really, my my real love of guitar came out of playing for my band, uh, Funky Hotel. Was it my band? Can that's, I say that's that? That's a cool band name. <laughs> Funky Hotel, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That, I remember Funky Hotel. That was that was a really that was almost like a <clears throat> a super group of like the the musicians in the area. Yeah, right? yeah. It was like I remember you going out and you you picked like the best of each kind of instrument, uh, each instrumentalist. Like, and I remember thinking well, that is a lineup of a brilliant band because I knew all of these musicians and I'd uh, played with them with you. And I was just like, wow, he's put together a, a super group there. And it, it, the the it was all good cover songs, but really really just the arrangements that you guys did of everything was was fantastic i think that was a was a bit of a, a turning point do you i mean do you in, in terms of your guitar uh playing do, do you think you know do you think that's the point where you, you realized okay I'm, I'm i'm in love with the guitar now and this is going to be something i'm going to really you know dedicate myself to within a band or, or or do you still consider yourself a piano player and a bass player that happens to play guitar oh yes you know this is a big question it's, it's difficult to say I think I'm a musician that plays these instruments. Throughout my time in all of these different types of bands, the fabulous Fug Band, the Crooners, the Cheese Doctors, uh, Rufus Stone, Big Brother Soul, I just uh, Soul Suspects, guitar for youth theatres I did. I did Jesus Christ Superstar, did Les Mis a couple of times, and Fame. All of these different aspects whether whatever instrument I was playing I would try and be that musician that technician that plays their instrument the way that that musician would play that instrument does that make sense it does I mean <laughs> yeah it does and I see you I see you kind of do this like is you you get really deep into that instrument when you're required to for that particular set of set of gigs yeah um whatever instrument that I'm playing I like when I got into bass playing I really studied different bass players I you know became obsessed with Mark King Victor Wooten in your band who in, in Matt's band yeah, yeah. no no, no in, in Kieran's, band. Kieran's yeah. band but even you know like Pino Palladino in even um Victor Wooten classes uh Paul McCartney as somebody to go and listen to go and listen to Paul McCartney playing the bass that was that was that was Victor Wooten saying that so yeah not that I ever felt that I ever came close to any of these names you know I I really I, th- I think I loved slap bass playing when it was really uncool so I, I learned <laughs> it and then just put it away and then all of these people suddenly came out of the woodwork and, uh-huh. <laughs> I was really yeah so I, I was I was I'll say that I was ahead of my time with with learning to play slap bass when it was really uncool um, it was really uncool because it was just Mark King at the time wasn't it it was just it was, Mark King yeah before Davey Five. 504 this is now oh, oh yes <laughs> i went and watched some of his stuff i have to do after, that after that i forgot to mention it davy 504 oh who's this guy oh my god i mean he's <laughs> good right I, after yeah. that but his after videos that are episode, hilarious as well he's very tongue-in-cheek after that episode we did on the <laughs> ultimate covers band where i mentioned davy 504 I had different uh, friend uh, friends texting me going, Davey 504, yes. Yeah. So he's clearly got this following. <laughs> that it's not just me. But, uh. So here's a, qu- here's a question I wanted to ask both of you guys, right? So both of you have gone off and done uh, music degrees. Uh, Matt, ACM, Damo, you know, performing 
music degree as well. So, you know, we, we've spoken about, Damien, the kind of bands and things that you've been in and, and kind of honing your craft and learning your instruments through all these variety of different bands and figuring out which instruments were, were for you. And then I remember a, a kind of point in your life where you were like, right, no, I'm really going to go and, and, and do this and take a, a dedicated amount of time out of my life to go and do this um, with some qualifications. So, and, and Matt, I know you, I know you did the same. I, I really want to kind of understand from both of you as someone who hasn't done this and who's, who's very much self-taught, but now trying to, to, to kind of accelerate my learning, how, how you guys found that experience. And I wonder if, if you two got the same kind of enjoyment and kind of satisfaction out of doing it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Damo, why don't, why don't, why don't you start? I mean, what made you think, right, I need to go and study music properly now? You touched on something which I hadn't really thought about when when you said what we were have a chat about today was the fact that I was, at the time, a guitar teacher. And that that was my main source of income, reg, regular income. Uh, I was teaching in many schools and had many private students. I then started working in in a school, and this this opens up many other questions, I know. But uh, we... we I started working in a school where we had a, a recording studio built with a radio station and a TV studio. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yes. So, <laughs> and I was brought in to, to, to manage uh, or coordinate this um, uh, for, for the area that it, that it was, uh, that the school was in, the secondary school that it was in and all its feeder primary schools. And the, the idea is to raise oracy and literacy within, within the community. Um, so it was teaching the community and kids and staff how to make TV programs, um, uh, how to make recordings, how to make radio programs, etc. To, to cut that short, the headmaster really wanted me, to answer your question, that is, to the headmaster really wanted me to become a secondary school music teacher. Oh. Uh, and he said, would I be interested in going to do the degree? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> For about two or three years, I said no, because I was really happy running this studio, uh, as, as you would be with lots and lots of toys. Oh my God. I can, I, sorry to interrupt. I, I remember, uh, when you gave me the call and said, um, yeah, so they've asked me to design this studio and it's basically a blank canvas. And, um, I mean, the school was in a developing area, right? So it wasn't a, a kind of privileged area, right? But they'd been given this incredible sum of money and they brought you involved to basically from the from the ground upwards develop design and have commissioned this state-of-the-art recording studio uh, with which you could spec out and then they wanted you to run it and I remember at the time feeling like we I mean it was you right but we had won the lottery I was like this is this is just the best thing ever you know and that's that studio I mean honestly it was it was stunning absolutely stunning it had yeah it was as good as as as, as you know a, a commercial a studio yeah. yeah it was a proper full commercial studio full absolutely everything uh, proper live rooms it was it was it was stunning so yeah so yeah i can i can imagine i I can imagine you weren't you weren't you know in any great need to quit that gig anytime school to go back to to school right Uh, absolutely yeah for for yourself so but eventually i did i did um 
decide that it was it was time for me to really push myself and uh, get this qualification. Uh, and um, so they released me uh, for some time, and and I I did it in I did it full time uh, whilst working full time. Uh, I don't quite know how I made that work, but I did. Uh, and uh, the degree itself was, and I'm not sure whether yours was like this, Matt, but um, it was modular. So you you did different modules on various different things. And for the life of me, I, 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 I'm trying to wrap my brains with what modules there were. The, the ones that spring to mind were there was, there was a jazz module. There was a club music module where eventually, I think the, you know, you had to learn about club music and and within the context of society, et cetera. And you had to um, produce a, a 20 minute uh, set stuff. And I, I, I wasn't very good at all, at all really, because you need to know your records inside out. And I didn't know my records inside out. So I didn't do too well on that module. But instrumental teaching, songwriting, film music, how to perform a piece of music. Uh, and that wasn't the title of that module. But this is the one that makes me laugh the most because you had to perform a piece of music but before you perform the piece of music you had to write an essay on how you were going to perform that piece of music down to facial expressions what you were doing with your <laughs> yes what you what you what you were doing with your hands well how you know what where you were going to walk everything every down to every single minutiae of whatever it is that you were going to do, you had to write down. The most expressive guitarist for that, from that point of view, is Mr. Vi. I, yes. I, I, my, my one and only Vi piece of music, I pulled that out of the bag. And what's it called? For the Love of God, no? For the Love of God, that's it. Oh, wow, what a, what a song. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I played that. I had I had already previously learned this and, and got down to the point. Now this is my we need to explain the, the finger. I even got into this point where beautiful note. No, not the, not not the Oh right, okay. Not the circular that, vibrato thing that he does. No, that's yeah. that's the left hand. It's oh, the sorry. finger where yeah. you you play a note and you take your plucking hand and you point to the said note like this, as if it's a, an amazing note, and you have a real massive expression of of, wow, look at this note. Uh, <laughs> do you remember this note, Kieran? I do. I honestly do. I remember both those things that you're talking about. So I watched, uh, so Vi, I think he's just had hand surgery or something, hasn't he? He so has, he's, just, yes. he's just released a, a track That's on it. social media. Is it called Knapsack or something? Knapsack, Knapsack yeah. That's where it. it's all legato stuff on his, uh, on his left hand. And it's quite <laughs> phenomenal. But I remember watching that a week or so ago and uh, kind of just chuckling to myself at his quite frankly ridiculous and and slightly obscene looking vibrato technique on his left hand it yeah. just looks just too erotic when he's doing it of course it sounds incredible it's it's, it's vi right it is it's a, it's a real labor of love on that on that poor fretboard but you know what you're referring to damon was one of these things that he used to like only vi can get away with this right when he was performing live as well as all of the flamboyancy and stuff that he does he's a proper showman right whether you whether you care for his 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 music and his style or not you can't help but admire uh, the confidence and the show 
showmanship as a guitarist. Yeah. And, and he, yeah, I remember us just chuckling uh, at the audacity of somebody to be able to just be playing this intricate solo. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of a huge kind of uh, series of notes, just all of a sudden, just pause in just the right place in the phrasing to, to remark at his own note choice and, and how, how beautiful it. it was. And then to bring the audience on that journey by lifting the index finger of his right hand and just pointing at that note so that they could, <laughs> we could all share in how, in how incredible his note choice was. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, so you did that in a performance. Or, so did I you, did you wrote I wrote, about it. I wrote, wrote it in my essay. essay. You had to write right. things, you know, write it a, a very academically. So, uh, and not at all tongue in cheek. So, uh, God knows how I managed to even reference some of those things with texts and stuff, but it was it was good from an academic point of view as well. And then then it culminated in a twenty minute full on performance uh, for the dissertation. You had to do a twenty minute performance. Uh, I remember Matt, you mentioned Michael Landau, yeah, great guitarist. And I can't remember what context you remember, but uh, his version, uh, no, not his version, that Steve Lukather's version of "I'm Buzzed." Oh yeah, of course, which is a Landau track isn't it I think that's it yeah yeah and then going into Birdland so was it was it one complete piece did you have to basically medley I medley I medley which is what you which is what you do anyway isn't which it? is you do that. which is what I do yeah I do, <laughs> I, do like, I do like a medley yeah me too uh, uh and then finished off with the rumble from West Side Story the Chick Career Chick Career and Steve Vai version you've got <laughs> oh to check this out you've I'm, got go- to- I'm going to I haven't heard it <laughs> it's just absolutely phenomenal so I, I rearranged this because it's for two bands uh, Steve Vai Vai's Monsters and Chick Career's electric band I can't remember that mm-hmm. yeah uh, and you can hear one band in one headphone if you've got headphones on and one band in, in another headphone and they play different parts of this the rumble uh, so I arranged it for one band, which uh, the drummer was very, very pleased about. <laughs> that he got to do it all. Good old Dom. So like, can't we just do a Beatles song? <laughs> yes. So it went down very well. Anyway, it did go down very well. So, I mean, I started off to answer the question to... To, I started off thinking because I'd done so much music in my life that I'm about to sit back a little bit and just sort of ride out three years. And it turned out that I had to work really hard. And the more, the harder I worked, the, the, the harder I wanted to work. I really wanted to get as much out of it as I possibly could. And, you know, I had nothing, no, no um, knowledge about club music. I still don't, but I really enjoyed the, the module uh, about, about, its context and in society and so I learned an, an awful lot even learned an awful lot about instrumental teaching and I'd been teaching for quite some time up until that point I teaching about 15 years up, up until when I when I first started uh, doing this degree so I learned an awful lot would you recommend it to, to somebody who's thinking about about that because obviously you you'd already established yourself as a as a kind of live uh, musician and studio engineer and sound engineer by that point so you, I think I think you were going back to university to study right this was this was you know you'd, you'd already already got your career by this point I was a mature student I, <laughs> I, I, I had already 
started a degree uh, when I was very young. Uh, when, well, not very young. I mean, at, at proper degree age and uh, up in Manchester doing a degree in sound recording and pop music and sound recording. But uh, personal reasons, I pulled out of that one and postponed my my career for, for a little bit. But I would recommend it. I would recommend it for, from someone that is that has got some knowledge of music. The ones that did well, I feel, were the ones that were taking their instruments seriously, not that could just play a little bit on on their said instruments. Some were, you know, very, 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 very talented on their instruments and then doing the degree on top uh, and talented on two instruments. I remember this guy picking up the violin at a jazz night, jazz solo and handing it back. And I didn't realise he didn't play violin. And he... <laughs> It, it was just remarkable. <laughs> it was absolutely remarkable. So there was some real talent there. There was some real, real, real talent. But it's, you can't just get by on talent. You need to have the grounding in. Um, so I, I had got GCSE and A-level music. Uh, and I think my, me doing A-level music really, really helped me with further study for, you know, uh, studying Bach. I didn't know you had that. I didn't, I didn't know you had that. I mean, that makes perfect sense now. And because your theory has always been really good. Um, but I thought your theory was uh, kind of more organically taught just from from being a performing musician and because you had an interest in it, I hadn't realised you'd actually gone to the level of of kind of, you know, fully through high school, um, you know, studying and doing exams mm. in music. But that, yeah, yeah. That, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Matt, did you have a, did you have a similar kind of uh experience in uh when you were when you were studying uh music and, and kind yeah. of yeah 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 I, I, my my experience sounds very similar to yours Damien. I mean, it was very much a case of you know uh, there was lots of different modules lots of different subjects that we went through throughout the throughout the years and some of them i was i really enjoyed some of them i really did um the, the good thing about where i studied which was the acm in guildford all the teachers there were all were in the music industry a lot of them were session musicians and things like that and they were you know this was another uh um, you know, arrow in the quiver kind of thing. You know, they were teaching here as well as working. Some of the teachers there would go off for six months of the time because they were on tour and then they would come back and carry on teaching kind of thing, you know. And um, I really enjoyed it from a playing perspective. I really enjoyed the lessons and the modules that were very much about playing, but I struggled with some of the other modules that were a bit more academic because um, actually the interest wasn't there and I didn't really have a goal in mind. You know, I was I was studying because I wanted to you know, I just finished an apprenticeship for four years as an engineer. And I was kind of like, well, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. So why don't I try and just study music for a few years and see where it, see where it ends up. That's so, really cool. That's really brave, right? Because you could have quite easily gone from that apprenticeship and gone, right, now I need to absolutely go and earn some money and go straight into a, applying my apprenticeship. So, wow. But I didn't, I, I didn't know that about, about you yeah. either, that you'd taken so that, that decision. Exactly. That so it was point. a big jump. Uh, you know, I'd done a four years studying to be, you know, an engineer and it's still my day job now you know I, I did fall back on that but one of the clear things is the people that have gone on to have success from when I was studying are people that very clearly had an intention and a goal in mind for what they wanted to do with their career as a musician and I was very much kind of well I just want to study this for now and then see what happens but um, it, I think it, it made it clear to me that you know there's a responsibility on you as a student to to commit to studying it's not just about is the course right for you or is the information 
information right. It's, you have to apply yourself to it, and I think you'll have success, uh, you know, in anything in life if you apply yourself correctly. Um, but yeah, it's a, a very similar experience, and um, I, I enjoyed it. I did certain takeaways for me were just playing with other people, meeting other people, other musicians, and getting to play with other people. So important, you know. Anybody who's listening now, if you're wondering well, what's the best thing you can do to develop your playing, for me, that it's always been playing with other people in a room, you know, playing your instrument and being in a band, oh, a creative yeah. environment. Absolutely. I remember you. I remember you, take, <laughs> you inviting me to a jam night once, uh, Matt. We'd. Uh, We've been playing in a, in a band for a few years, you and I, and um, I'd, I'd really miss just going to jam nights because when you get into a routine of gigging every weekend, um, you don't tend to go to jam nights because you, you've already got that outlet and, and you know, you've run out of hours in the week. But we were having a little bit of a, a time off from the, from the, the band, and um, and we were both eager to get out and play for a little bit as well. So we said, "Well, let's just go to this jam night." And you're like, "Oh yeah, there's a jam night near 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 where I am. We'll go to that one." And I was like, "Oh yeah, cool. All right, I've not been to that one before, but you know, it'll be fun. Go to a different jam night." Anyway, uh, I got to this jam night, and as you do, you know, you just think, "Okay, it's going to be the standard kind of stuff." regular jam night in the in the home counties of Surrey, this little unassuming pub on the outskirts of Guildford. And then then the jam night kind of started and I was like, okay, and there's some there's some good players here. This is pretty good. And then as the night progressively went on, I was just going, what is going on here? Like what is this jam night? Like the caliber of some of the musicians was absolutely <laughs> mind blowing. I was like, what what is happening at this pub in the middle of nowhere? And and then I kind of spoke to you about it and you're like, oh yeah, most of these are like teachers and things at ACM yeah, and exactly, or students yeah. at ACM and this country, this little country pub in the middle of nowhere just happens uh, to be uh, obviously hosting a jam night, but it's, 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 it's near this, this kind of prestigious kind of music school. But yeah, I remember going, going away from that jam night going, wow. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its covers. There was some incredible players. In that yeah. Pub. It wasn't, it wasn't your average kind of, you know, blues jam kind of thing. It was exactly that. It was, it was kind of like, um, well, I remember when I was at ACM, um, one of the, one of the teachers there was a guy called, um, Dave Kilminster, who yeah. is actually now Roger Waters guitarist, you know, yeah. he's basically doing Dave Gilmore thing. And he was teaching that. And he was saying once how, um, when he was working in LA, um, there's all these, all these kind of jazz clubs and things like that where, you know, musicians are playing in the house band from like Monday to Saturday every night. But on a Sunday, they all go to one particular place on a night off to jam. And he said, that's where you go when you want to see, if you're a musician and you want to see good live music, you don't go to the regular gig. You go to the gig where they all get together to jam. You know, and it was kind of like that in, in Guildford. It was only for a, a, a short period of time, really. But there was definitely a few pubs where there would be jam nights. And yeah, the teachers and, you know, a lot of the gooder, good, gooder, the gooder. I didn't do an English degree, clearly. It was a bit... <laughs> All the better students, you know, a lot of them that really cared about developing their craft and being around these teachers, they would come down as well. And yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It was one of those things where you kind of get your guitar out of the case and you go, oh no, I don't think I'll play it tonight. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll chat about jam nights with Damo uh, on another episode because definitely, um, yeah, that's a that's a subject that he's a, he's a real expert in as well. But uh, Damo, coming back to you, so so the, yeah. so the music the music degree is done, and um, and then there was this period where you uh, you went and worked abroad. Uh, and I, I want you to kind of tell us about that because without without kind of being you know. 
uh, too over the top. You you were a, an incredibly competent and and proficient musician before you you left for this kind of international stint. And then I remember watching you when you came back, like the first couple of weeks when you came back to the UK, and um, uh, I came to see you at a, a, a gig. And I remember genuinely being blown away by the acceleration in not just musicianship but performing ability and confidence and like the amount of kind of songs that you had under your belt which were just being performed at an incredibly proficient and high level something happened in those in those couple of years while you were away that I I think I'd love to hear about more because the musician that came back was on on an on another level really for, for me to watch um so what what happened <laughs> did you did, tell me was was it there a crossroads involved and did you make a deal with the devil there <laughs> yeah, was a crossroads it was well i think it was it, first of all it was the right time in my life to do that uh on the back of the degree where i'd spent my three years growing as a musician and culminating in my 20 minute performance that 20 minute performance was probably more important to me than i realized job opportunity came up working abroad uh working for a holiday company working in different hotels and i ended up working it was just over just over a year really i did this uh and that that amount of time was perfect i worked in crete majorca egypt kefalonia back to egypt it was it was great it was something else some some hotels were better than others uh i had to do various different uh parts to that i had to do 345 basically my remit was 345 minute sets a day for six days a week uh, <laughs> and i wasn't allowed to repeat myself within a two-week period and that ladies and gentlemen is how you do it <laughs> wow. so, that, 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 that's that's how you build a back catalogue and uh i was just gonna say yeah. i was that's like a pressure cooker isn't yes. it yes that's how yeah you had no choice but to get to get better that's, then, did that, you? Yeah. That's right. So you, I spent the first few months just learning songs, just learning, 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 and taking requests. So, you know, you, somebody would say, oh, can you play me this? And I was like, no, but I will tomorrow. Because they were on holiday, you're a cap- captured audience, you know, you knew that they were going to come back. So, or or the following day, depends how hard it was. And some were more, <laughs> some were more successful and ended up in the set, uh, in, in one of the sets, uh, and some just never performing again bat out of hell is one of them i remember going away <laughs> and as, a solo, as a solo instrumentalist you did as, a, as a solo with a backing track singing trying to sing it i just realized halfway through no this was such a bad idea for me and my voice where apart from the person that had requested it who was actually quite happy with it it wasn't i think it wasn't as bad as i make out i think i did a okay job of it but i i like to do a much better job than just an okay job of it i uh, i have refrained from doing bat out of hell ever since <laughs> ever since but yeah so but because i was multi-instrument i i could do i could do electric guitar with backing tracks i could just do singing by itself um i could just i could do acoustic guitar with and without amplification uh so that that would be sitting around the pool while people wait for their paella to uh, to be served and then you would just i just strum some nice summery tunes <laughs> and sing with no no um amplification whatsoever just sit there by the pool all dressed in white looking like the man from del monte i, I was <laughs> 
and uh, tanned more and more each day. It was ridiculous. It was lovely. It was really lovely. Tough gig. <laughs> tough, tough, tough gig. It, that but was wow, a tough, tough gig. gig. So yes, uh, and then there was a piano, piano in the lobby where you just go and play some instrumental stuff or sing along to, you know, play some Billy Joel or or some uh, Elton John and uh, or anything, you know, that, that goes on the piano. So I have piano sets. What other, what other things did I do? Oh, I did Christmas over over in Egypt. So I, I did a whole Christmas set, which was bizarre, seeing people in their bikinis and budgie smugglers <laughs> dancing to Christmas tunes. That's not Christmas. <laughs> not Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right by the pool. Yeah, that, that was that was quite strange. Uh, oh, dear. So, yeah, so you had to learn a, a, a full cross-section of stuff. And, and I never stopped learning stuff while I was while I was doing that. Um, so it, it made life a lot easier when I came back and I, I could then hone uh, an actual set that I would take around to various different um, venues to play. And I didn't have to do three sets over six days without repeating myself in two weeks. So uh, no, no, you just decided to come back and do all of those sets in one go as a giant medley, which is, <laughs> the, which is the way I first saw you come back to, to, yeah. to the UK. And, and Matt, Matt commented earlier that you love a medley. I but, do love um, Emily. So I mean, yeah, I did the, a go on. Yeah, t- no, no. Tell tell pe- tell people about how that came about because it's some it's something that I know people that have gone and seen you. Well, there comment, was a comment on when you do the solo show. I'm not sure whether I can name the set of this. So, but it was a, a whole medley of songs in the key of G. Uh, <laughs> well, well, it, yeah, yeah, it was. But that goes on for how long? Well, it started off where I just had about three or four songs, and it eventually ended up, and I, I could do this by the end of the stint over in. I think by the end of the stint in Mallorca I was doing it for a for a whole hour and it would build and build and build and build and just when you think it's going to finish it goes on to the next song and and it 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 was about an hour's medley just just under an hour and it was I I was definitely sweating by the end of it it was <laughs> It was it was hard going. It always that went down really really well. So bringing that back to the UK, uh, I did that in a few festivals, little mini festivals, very locally, and uh, went it went, always went down so well. Uh, and I haven't I haven't done it for a long long time. Uh, and I used to turn it into a bit of a quiz if people could name every single song and the artist. So they would start by not writing it down, and I'd say no, write this down. They don't know how long <laughs> you don't know how long this is going to be. Yeah, they think. <laughs> I remember four or five songs in a row and then you realise you're getting onto song number 25 and this man hasn't stopped playing for like half an hour and there's no signs of it stopping anytime soon. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that was the, uh, the affectionately known G-spot. The G-spot. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So now fast forward to the DLB, right? So this, so after after you came back from this international kind of stint and then you'd really worked on your, your kind of craft, you were very, very focused and very determined to uh, set up what was going to be your kind of future ventures here in the UK, which is which is the DLB. So, um, so, so, t- so tell us about that and some of the philosophy behind that and, and and how it all came about. Because it's a it's a band, but it's a, as I said at the beginning, it's like a collective of different bands um, that is out there. You know, obviously COVID pending most nights of the week, six seven nights a week. Uh, and it's keeping you busy. So, 
So yeah, tell us about that. So uh, after spending uh, a year or so away, I made the decision not to to go back to working abroad or going on cruises, which were all offered to me. I'd already realised that I had lost, not lost, but the connections that I had before I went away were not there. I was not on the call sheet for for gigs or depths or so I'd had to go back and and start again uh, making some contacts and gathering some musicians. The the DLB was born pretty much as soon as I could, and we did a, a few local pub gigs. The DLB Damien Logic Band was was initially just there to start off just. Just doing doing some pubs, uh, clubs, and um, and seeing if we could get some functions, and that's that that soon happened. And, and what I found was that the Damien Lodric band was me. Uh, I know that sounds a bit odd, but it was me and whoever I could put behind me, and it was my job to lead those musicians and guide them through the gig without any rehearsal and just let them uh, and play stuff that was kind of nice and easy uh that was well known by the audience but was also well known by by the band uh so i i do look back on that first gig and some of the stuff we play oh god we don't do anymore at all we did under the bridge i think but anyway uh <laughs> I d- it's a uh, yeah uh, and I, that must have been from a, a leftover from from working abroad doing that so one you, so you developed then from in from being a musician to now your musical director that's right yes if somebody if say for the drummer couldn't make a gig then ring up another drummer and say this is what's happening uh would you be able to do it yep okay and and slowly and surely over the years built up this conglomerate of musicians that um that are able to come along and play at a drop of a hat with no rehearsal a set list which i'll probably email over it used to be a bit of fun really because i used to send out uh, a set list and then on the day sort of say well no actually we're going to be playing this set of songs and it wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be telling them what the songs are until the song happens and that would that would be within the previous song so there wouldn't be any gap so my the idea of these medleys will be starting to grow very very short slowly and surely uh, and the dance medley has grown out of being in different bands so uh I've got I've got this medley now which which has grown from the band the cheese doctors which is a classic combination of funky music and superstition and then we put oops upside your head into it and uh papa's got a brand new bag and and uh, but then uh, we've managed to I've managed to eke this out now to about a 25 minute medley uh, of all sorts of different s- stuff and then there's a t- uh, there's at least two or three different medleys within each set so th- it's it's very important to me but um, the DLB has has stayed this that I'm still the DLB and I have got this group of musicians which I can call on that there and therefore there's no band politics yes Exactly. You're avoiding a whole host of problems there, aren't you? And it's really worked. It's really, really worked from, from that point of view. It's, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's just really worked. It's just, just really worked. Cool. So, so, so meddling your songs was obviously a, a really slick move. And, and I've got to say, because one of my biggest bug burns, whenever I've been gigging with any band, whether it's been depping or anything, it's time spent between songs. Oh, yeah. Tell um, me about it. It's a, it's a dance floor killer. 
isn't it? You've got people up dancing. You've got to keep that time between songs really short. So if you can have a good long medley and it's just, it just keeps the party going. Absolutely. I, I will do very, very little talking. It's not that I don't have a rapport with the audience. It's that in between each, so coming towards the end of a song, it's like being a DJ, you're queuing up the next one with the band. I'm turning around yeah. and saying, we're going to be doing, if if it's if there's no set list down, I'll say, right, get ready. We're going to go straight into such and such a song. And that's where mm-hmm. I will lead with my instrument, with, with the guitar. Uh, as soon as I can, off the back of the uh, previous song, just hit them with the next song straight away. So there's no gaps. It's not medleyed, but it, it it's it's almost it's mixed. It's seamless. Yeah. It should be seamless. Exactly. And I've seen I've seen I've decked with a couple of bands before and what, what they've done is um usually they've taken advantage of if they've got a setup where everyone's on in ear monitors, then usually somebody like the keys player um who might be running the band but is not the lead singer, they'll have a microphone that's rooted only to the in ears of the band, not oh. to the front of house. And quite often you'll be playing along and, and you'll hear from the from the keys player, we're gonna go straight into Valerie, straight after this one, drummer, go get ready for the beat kind of thing. And nobody can hear that except the band, but that's such a great way of kind yeah. of, you know, you've got a, a musical thing. director in the band. If As long as you're not the singer, it works. But that... <laughs> 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 but that that was a great uh, good some ex, good experiences with other bands where you're kind of thinking what's the next song going to be because they might not have written a set list somebody's going to call them out and you think am I going to be prepared and then halfway through the song you hear right this is the next song yeah it's just a great way to control the gig especially if you're reading the floor as well because I guess that's something else you probably learned quite a lot that's right to read yeah. the floor and not just stick to a set list sometimes you've got to change it as you go along that's right so each set so especially like working abroad I'd have a, a, a longer list and I still today have that when I'm doing solo gigs and I'm playing to backing tracks um, I would have a, a much longer list than, than necessary so I can go off in any certain direction that I want to I know the path that I would like to take um but I know that I can go off in any particular direction depending on audience participation or lack of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> depending on whatever the evening, however the evening is Exactly, going. yeah. You can never, <laughs> never can tell. No, you can't. So people, people, need, to, people need to come and see this show. Uh, I think so. So where, where can they find out more about, about the DLB? Oh, right. Um, the Facebook, the Damien Lodrick Band. Uh, my name has got two eyes in it because... Uh, uh, my father added one. Uh, so <laughs> yes, it's D-A-M-I-A-I-N, <laughs> so, which is really handy that I have to spell that, and Lodric, L-O-D-R-I-C-K. So on Facebook, we've got a website, www.thedamienlodricband.co.uk. I think I've got an Instagram, the DLB. You do. You've reached this stage now where you have someone who else who manages your social media for you. I do you have somebody. Even, that... You don't even know what you've got, but you do, mate. And it's, and it's, and, and it's worth following. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> living the dream. Living, living, the dream. living the dream. Living the dream. Uh, look, I mean, it's been incredible to chat to you today. I, I know we're going to have you back on the podcast because there's a few... Definitely. Uh, a few key topics, right, Matt, that we thought um, it would be really good to have a D- 
deep dive into things like preparing for a jam night and running a jam night or an open mic night, whatever you want to call it. And we haven't even touched upon uh, today, Damien. I mean, we, we we talked a little bit about your kind of setting up a, a recording studio and a, and a TV studio. Um, but I, I think Matt and I were chatting. It would be lovely to get you back to talk about, you know, from a sound engineer's perspective, either in the studio or, or live, which I know you spent an, a good number of years as a sound mm-hmm. engineer helping bands achieve the kind of mix and onstage sounds as well as front of house sounds that they want to achieve uh, for an audience. You spent a number of years doing that. And I think we'd, we'll, we'll get you back to talk specifically about about those things. But today today was really about just uh, introducing you to the Guitar Smarts audience, uh, getting to know you a little bit, and and then we'd love to have you back to, to, to hear about some of the other things that you've done in your life in music, but also to give our audience some top tips on on those areas where anything, yeah. it will apply to them, you know, be it going to a jam night or going into the studio with their band to record. So uh, thank you so much for, 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 for being on the show today. Have we got some time for some, some listeners' questions that maybe we can get Damien involved? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, do you know what? Um, we put um, uh, a request up on Instagram this week and Facebook, and Mr. Rob Skinner um, came back with some fantastic questions, right? some really great questions, which um, I'm sure we've all got an opinion on. But his, this is his question. So reading music for guitar, do you need to learn to read? What are the benefits of reading? Does reading standard notation actually get in the way of being able to play? And is learning to read standard notation on the guitar the same? as reading on another instrument so so i, I in, i'm going to keep my kind of answer brief to this but I, my answer is clearly not because i've been able to have some element of a semi-pro and amateur career if you like in music and continue to enjoy playing and i can't read music i can understand rhythmically if i look at a piece of notation i can understand the rhythm of things but i couldn't read it harmonically um so i would say from my experience you don't need to and actually going back to somebody we mentioned earlier on victor wooten um he's obviously he's a fantastic teacher as well and um there's some great clips of him talking about this subject he's he's a very much a proponent of learning to do first before learning to understand um and if you liken learning music to speaking a language um we never learn how to read before we can learn how to talk and communicate and i think music's the same way i think um learn how always learn and put first how to play how to communicate how to move people and yourself with with playing your instrument and if you want to learn how to read music well that's another way of communicating music and that's a, it's something that you can do but i don't think you need to so that would be my answer what about you damien what do you think yeah i i agree actually uh can, i can read with uh I'm, I'm okay i would say i'm uh, i'm completely and utterly out of practice but i can i can read and have done in the past so for example did, did those sh- shows view theater shows and all the guitar parts are written out in standard notation so there's no tab so uh you have to be able to decipher what's there as you say matt i found i found it a lot easier because what i did was i spent some time listening to the to the music that piece of notation which looks highly complicated is actually something that all guitarists do as a matter of course uh, and you think oh okay so it's just about recognizing patterns I-, I found found coming at it from that point of view was a lot easier just being able to read if you can just read then you are i think you're giving yourself an awful lot of more of a harder job if you just yeah, read and you can't I agree if you can't improvise you don't know what 
what how what things mean in in terms of improvising. Um, yeah, it's kind of can you imagine being able to read a book but not being able to have a conversation with someone? That's it's, exactly it's like right, that, isn't it? It's exactly that. So I think what you've both referred to is 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 something <clears throat> that I like to think about in terms of like learning any language, right? It's um, and you've both kind of hinted at this in terms of you know being able to read or being able to converse. It's, it's learning a language. So to the point that that Rob asks in his question, which is, does it get in the way? No, it, it, only if you let it, right? And I think you've both touched upon something, which is, you know, as, as musicians, you've got to be able to use your ear and use your common sense to guide you as to how you need to apply what you're reading to, uh, and what you're hearing to, to, to the piece of music. So it will only ever get in your way if you, if you allow it to and you lose your sensibilities of your other senses that you're uh, using uh, help you create the music that you want to create. But does it get in the way if, 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 you, if you overly rely on it and, and neglect your, your, your ear? Of course. But, you know, like learning any language, if you can invest the time and dedication to not just learn guitar theory, but also learn how to read music as well, it will enhance your experience of that language, you know, be an incredible thing to have in your, in your toolkit. So I, I would say don't stress about the fact that you um, can't read music. You know, use that time to, to spend learning some good knowledge of the fretboard and guitar theory in a practical context uh, and use your ear for sure because you know there are, there are all of us that can speak you know little bits of other languages without necessarily knowing how to write that language or or, or read it particularly competently but you can you can get by so we uh, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt either needs a toilet break or or, or he's uh, <laughs> he's preparing for a holiday in France. <laughs> Ah, oui, oui, monsieur. C'est vrai. Did Rob have? Did Rob ask another question? I think he did, didn't he? Um, I think he did. Yes, you're right. Down, he, he, he also asked: Is tab looked down upon by other instrument players? And if so, should it be? So let's ask the multi instrumentalist amongst us, uh, oh, which, yeah. which would be you, Damo. So, do you so know, you're proficient on a number of instruments. Do you? Is there part of you that goes? Mm, when I speak to other piano players, uh, they kind of scoff at guitarists about about the fact that we have access to tab they don't really know it doesn't crop up it's as though there's what there's (laughs) (laughs) there's a there's their own version of music don't be silly um I don't know. It's uh, it. It could be seen to be down upon uh, by reading musicians because a reading musician will read standard notation as a as a matter of course. Uh, and if you are, I suppose, if you are multi instrumentalists, I can read treble clef, bass clef as a as a pianist. So I, I've I mean re- I've recently had to write out some um, some music and I had written it all in standard notation, but I had to rewrite it because it was for four guitars i had to <laughs> i know thank you i've got my one to, to learn and practice <laughs> i've had to rewrite it in tab but even the tab has got the 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 tails to show to show the uh uh to show the rhythm. the rhythm yes which i actually as someone who isn't great at reading music i mean i learned it at school and i know some of the basics but not not proficiently at all but someone who predominantly relies on their ear and then uses tab just to kind of double check or if i'm getting really stuck on a piece it still feels like cheating to me because it's it's not something you have to learn it's kind of just obvious if you can if you can read numbers uh and you can you can you know there's six strings on a guitar you can use tab so i think that's where the question comes from because it, it kind of feels a bit like cheating but i appreciated having the tab for that piece even though it's a very simple piece because it's a guitar harmony i kind of want to see how it fits in with the other guitars and even 
having that bit of music notation that you put in there helped me a little bit with some of the timings just to understand how it was going to work. So having said all of that, it wasn't until I put a guitar in my hand and then tried to play it along with the full piece of music that I went, ah, okay, what I'm seeing on the tab and what I'm seeing from my very basic understanding of music notation, it, it just, I'm just, I can now take that, but then I'm just going to rely on my ear and my feel because that's ultimately what I've got to try and do. And I, I suppose re, re, reading just opens up another world that you could be able to just be given a piece of music and play it. But I, I always remember being told this at uh, university that there are very few musicians that will read something that they would perform at that level. So that a performance piece of music, they would not necessarily just read off the cuff. They would not just be able to read it, a performance playing playing a piece of music that is of their performance standard so yeah. uh, you can always read things that are slightly easier i, I suppose mm-hmm. it's it's a bit like you know english which which you touched upon matt you know you can read something really complicated to you might take in the words but you would need to really decipher it to really understand it you know if you were to be reading it out loud you'd really need to study it for that little bit of time before yeah you're, yeah you're always going to be the, the performance you make that is supported by a familiar with the piece is always going to be better than one just straight off the cuff having never heard the piece before no matter how good a musician you are that's right yeah you know because you, 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 you the space and freedom there for you to express yourself better because you know it um that's right yeah my opinion of tab is that um it's only it's only other i mean you can't have tab for piano otherwise you'd have what 88 lines <laughs> and everyone would just have a one on it it'd be like reading binary it'd be ridiculous <laughs> so it's just I think part of it is the guitar is constructed and made in a way such that tab actually works out as a really simple method for being able to learn a piece or to record a piece um, without having to understand standard notation but I've you know I've I'm same as you, Kieran. Tab for me is is like a you know I'm so used to being an ear player. Tab is something I use now only if I want to either write something down in tab so I don't forget something that's important, or you know like if I'm really struggling to figure something out by ear and I need to work a way around it. It's evolved, you know. It's it's evolved into what it is, and it, and it exists, uh, and I don't see why it shouldn't be used. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, there we go. Another great. Thank you so much, Damien, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to be a part. And a, and a pleasure today. and an honour for us as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, we'll welcome you back to the Guitar Smarts podcast for, an, for another episode in the near future. Yes. Oh, I look forward to that. Look forward to that, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Right. Well, Kieran, I will see you next week. And Damien, I will see you soon yeah, as well for another one. Thank you very all much. All the best, guys. Cheers, see you guys. soon. Well, that was another super fun conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember to come over to our social media pages, tell us what you think, um, ask us some questions, come and say hello, anything at all, share some information with us, give us ideas for podcasts that you'd like to hear and subjects that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. And uh, brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.